KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, January 5th. Surging daily COVID-19 cases. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. More school districts returned to in-person classes on Tuesday, but absences and COVID-19 cases returned as well. At the San Diego Unified School District, attendance dropped to 84 percent. That's down 10,000 students as compared to the week before Christmas. District officials say some parents are keeping their children home after testing positive for COVID-19 using test kits sent home before winter break. Here's San Diego Unified Board Trustee Richard Barrera. It's the spread of this virus and the continuation of this virus which puts us on this roller coaster. And that's what makes it difficult, you know, for the schools to continue to do the job that we need to do for our, for our students. Former Chabad of Poway head rabbi Yisrael Goldstein was sentenced on Tuesday to 14 months in prison for orchestrating a donation fraud scheme. He was also ordered to pay $2.8 million in restitution to victims. Goldstein was ordered to surrender to authorities by February 23rd to begin his sentence. In Poway, a number of city staff have tested positive for COVID-19. City Hall is closed to the public until January 17th, but city staff are available to help the public remotely by phone or email. Recreational activities are not affected by the closure and critical care services like fire, police and public works are operating normally. The next city council meeting is set for the day after reopening on the 18th. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. San Diego County is seeing a huge jump in COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado says some hospitals are already canceling elective surgeries. San Diego County is having the biggest COVID surge since last summer. In three days, the county confirmed more than 17,000 new cases, and hospitalizations are up too. Over 700 people are hospitalized with COVID. Chris Van Gorder, the president and CEO of Scripps Health, says their hospitals are filling up fast. Oh, we're seeing a significant increase in cases. On Christmas Eve, we had 80 COVID patients hospitalized at our Scripps facilities. Uh, today we have 210. So that's an increase of 130 COVID patients uh, in just in 11 days. But this surge is different. In fact, my employee health department uh, told me this morning that they're getting calls between six and eight employees are calling, telling our employee health that they tested positive per hour. And now they're canceling elective surgeries. I had five medical surgical beds available in the entire healthcare system. But I had 19 patients waiting for beds just at one of my hospitals. 
And they're not the only hospital overwhelmed by COVID. On Monday, so many hospitals asked to be put on emergency diversion, the county removed that option altogether. So that means that all those ambulances that would normally bypass us because we don't have the staff are coming to our hospital and dropping off the patients anyway. Dr. Scott Herskovitz, the clinical director of the ER at Rady Children's Hospital, says parents should call their pediatrician or their hotline to pre-screen them before they go to the ER. A lot of the kids who are coming to the emergency department are really having mild to moderate illness and aren't necessarily needing to be admitted to the hospital for any significant care. It's just the sheer volume of patients that we're seeing is kind of causing strain on the system itself. And that's the message for everyone. Call your doctor and don't go to the ER for a COVID test or if it's not an emergency. But if you're coming for something that is a less priority, you're probably gonna have to wait a long time. And if you need admissions, you may be waiting in the emergency room for potentially hours to days. And if you do, Please be patient with those who are caring for you. And people are literally attacking and yelling and screaming at the people that are trying to help them. Um, so we've literally had to start de-escalation classes for our doctors and nurses to teach them how to de-escalate people that are hostile when those people came in to get care from us. So it's, it, it's a very, very difficult time for people in healthcare. And that was reporting by KPBS's Katie Alvarado. Nine service members drowned when their amphibious landing craft sank off the coast of San Diego in July of 2020. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says hearings are now underway at Camp Pendleton to determine whether their leaders will be kicked out of the Corps. Beginning Tuesday, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Regner, who was in charge of the battalion, faces either being kicked out of the Marines or potentially retired at a lower rank. The platoon sergeant for Bravo Company and two other Marines are expected to go through a similar hearing process at Pendleton. Aletha Bath is a mother of one of the Marines who died and one of three mothers at the hearing Tuesday. I don't think that they have been as open as they could be. I do not think that they are handling it properly. The board is reviewing reports that show the crafts used that day had a history of mechanical breakdowns. Marines had not passed their swim test. To remain in the Corps, Regner and the others will have to show they acted properly when they pressed ahead with the exercise that killed nine troops. And that was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. San Diego County schools are reporting a drop in homeless students, but advocates say the new numbers are no cause for celebration as the pandemic has caused many students to drop out of school entirely. iNews Source investigative reporter Chloe Wynn has more. When the pandemic forced learning online, teachers noticed that some students were missing from Zoom rooms. Digital learning was especially hard for kids living in cars or in homeless shelters. When schools reopened, advocates say some who struggled with online coursework never returned. Barbara Duffield heads Schoolhouse Connection, a nonprofit based in D.C. You know, there's a tremendous amount of attention on single adults who are homeless, but we know that at least 20 percent of that population were first homeless as children. Duffield says that students who don't finish high school are the most likely to end up as homeless adults. That was iNews Source investigative reporter Chloe Wynn. iNews Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS.
While the pandemic has ravaged much of the cross-border economy, Tijuana's maquiladora industry has flourished. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis tells us what's behind this boom. This is the sound of Tijuana's booming maquiladora industry. The daily thunder from thousands of cargo trucks shipping goods into the U.S. through the Otay Mesa border crossing. Those trucks carry everything, from Topo Chico hard seltzer to Toyota Tacomas assembled just outside Tecate. Each one is a sign of what's shaping up to be a new roaring 20s for Tijuana's maquiladoras, which are manufacturing and warehouse facilities along the southern border. Well, this is undoubtedly the most exciting and the most dynamic uh, time period we've had in the maquiladora industry for decades. This is Ernesto Bravo. He works for Tecma, a company that helps foreign businesses move to Mexico. And they've been doing it since the 1980s. So that makes Bravo our resident historian for the bustling border town's maquiladora industry. The, the industry was born really in the 70s. It grew significantly in the 80s. 2000s was a bit of a challenging period uh, with China coming into the WTO, the World Trade Organization, and enjoying certain benefits in terms of international trade, um, a lot of manufacturers actually migrated to China. But over the last few years, the companies that left, they're coming back. We have seen reverse migration, if you want to say, from Asia to Mexico as companies realize that they need to be closer to their clients, uh, and with the U.S. being the number one market in the world for everything, virtually. You want to be the closest place you can be. The pandemic made it abundantly clear that saving money by shifting manufacturing away from North America is a bad bet. Mauricio Tortolero heads the real estate division at the TP Legal Law Firm in Tijuana. He witnessed firsthand what happened to businesses that expanded supply chains before the pandemic. One of his clients thought they could save money by opening a manufacturing facility in South America, but... When the COVID situation started, that product wasn't able to come or to arrive here in Mexico or in, in the U.S. in time. So all their operation got, got delayed, and it was a big problem for the company. The fastest-growing sector of Tijuana's maquiladora industry is fulfillment centers. These are essentially repackaging and shipping warehouses that use a little-known section of the U.S. tariff code to avoid paying fees on certain imports. It's called Section 321, and it allows companies to avoid fees as long as they ship items worth $800 or less directly to customers. So instead of shipping items in bulk to the U.S., companies set up fulfillment centers just south of the border. That's why we're in the middle of a fulfillment center building boom in Tijuana. Adriana Aguia works for Vesta, one of the biggest industrial developers in the region. She says compared to just a year ago, the growth has been... 10 times. Yeah, 10 times at least. 10 times, and we know that probably is going to grow more. Experts who follow Tijuana's maquiladora industry are bullish on the market. Demand is high, and the underlying conditions behind the boom don't seem to be going away. Unless there is a change, or unless there is something catastrophic happens, I think that we will continue to see growth. But there's at least one big potential roadblock, and that's Tijuana's infrastructure. Businesses need stable sources of water and power to run warehouses. They need roads to transport goods across the border. And they need a reliable transit system for their employees to get to work on time. Historically, Tijuana has not invested in infrastructure. And that could come back to haunt the city. What, what needs to happen now is a lot of will from 
governments and business people to put on uh, investment into the infrastructures of the cities because if we keep on growing and there's no more roads and, and security and lightning and everything that the city needs in order to keep on the growth, it probably it's going to collapse. But for now, expect the trucks to keep on rolling at Otay Mesa. And that was KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis. Coming up, with over 7,000 military veterans serving time in California prisons, the state is trying to better serve them by housing them together. It's not so much we want to see murals and we want to see flagpoles. That's just the surface level. We, we're trying to get deeper than that and really prepare people to get out of here. More on that next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Nearly 7,000 military veterans are in prison in California, spread out across 34 different institutions. Now the state is trying to better serve them by housing them together. It's opened what state leaders say will be the nation's largest prison yard just for incarcerated veterans. Lucy Kopp reports for the American Homefront Project. In 2014, Ron Self, a decorated Marine Corps veteran, was serving a life sentence at San Quentin State Prison for attempted murder when he attended a self-help class. I was in a program called Victim Offender Education. This program offered participants a chance to share their traumas as a way of healing their past. When it was Self's turn, an experience from combat came to mind first. I shared probably my most significant traumatic event that culminated in me putting a bullet in one of my men's head who just got blown up with an RPG. When Self finished sharing his experience to the circle, it was crickets. People just didn't know how to respond. They were all civilians. They've had other hugely traumatic, but nobody knew how to deal with that. This was one of many instances that led Self to a firm conclusion. We need our own program. Self envisioned a prison yard dedicated to veterans. And later, he founded an advocacy group to lobby for it. This past May, his vision became a reality as California prison officials cut the ribbon at the state's correctional training facility, the first prison in California to designate a yard just for veterans. More than a dozen states have separate prison dorms for military veterans, but the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation says that this will be the largest veterans hub in the nation, eventually housing up to 1,200 incarcerated veterans. Getting the whole state to acknowledge that we're going to be the veterans hub is what we're going through now. And we're in the final stages of it. 
That's Captain Jose Ortega. He oversees the hub and says the goal is to provide veterans inside the system with everything they'd be able to get on the outside. Job trainings, vocations, higher education, their benefits. The hub also looks different from most prisons. A mural on the yard depicts the famous World War II scene of Marines raising the flag at Iwo Jima. Sergeant Matt Dyer, who works on the yard, isn't a veteran, but he has an American flag tattooed across his forearm. And he says the mural and the daily rituals are designed to restore a sense of patriotism and duty. We do raise the flag and lower it every morning and evening, um, play taps and reveille in the morning and at night um, inside our housing unit. Still, the purpose of the hub is much bigger than just restoring military tradition. Mark Wade is an incarcerated veteran at the hub and the veteran liaison, responsible for communicating between his peers on the yard and prison officials. It's not so much we want to see murals and we want to see flagpoles. That's just the surface level. We, we're trying to get deeper than that and really prepare people to get out of here. Part of preparing people to get out of prison is connecting them to their VA benefits. In order for vets to qualify, they need a medical exam. And with so few VA providers, trying to get an appointment can take years. Wade hopes the hub will change that. And with a centralized location now, the VA doesn't have to travel to 34 prisons. They could come to one. As VA logistics are finalized, Wade and the 145 veterans on the yard have begun setting a tone of unity, starting with adopting the logo of the Black Sheep Squadron. Okay, there's a Marine fighter squadron in World War II that was made up of all the pilots that, that nobody else wanted. But they turned out to be the most successful combat squadron in World War II. Wade says veterans at the hub can relate. Society didn't want us. We're in prison. But we're going to overcome our past, band together to do what's right, to serve, and live honorable lives now. There's little data on whether housing incarcerated veterans together makes it less likely they'll end up back in prison after they're released. But California corrections officials say they'll begin tracking that. And Wade says that will be the true test of whether the veterans hub is a success. That was Lucy Kopp reporting from Los Angeles. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.